Facebook is one of the most important social networks, maybe the most important social network in the world. There are billions of people on Facebook and Facebook collects, God only knows what kind of data Facebook actually collects. Today on episode number 288 of CXO Talk, we are speaking with two of the most knowledgeable Facebook, Facebook experts on the planet. I'm Michael Krigsman. I'm an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk. Before I introduce our guests, I want you right now to tell a friend, call a friend and tell them to watch this show and subscribe on YouTube. That helps us, allow, helps us out a lot. So please subscribe on YouTube. Without further ado, I want to introduce Dennis Yu, who is co-founder and Chief Technology Officer of Blitz Metrics. Hey, Dennis Yu, how are you? Pleasure to see you, Michael. Hey, likewise. Uh, so Dennis, tell us, uh, tell us briefly about Blitz Metrics. So we are a data and analytics company. We train up young adults to do Facebook marketing so they get certified in digital. We serve a lot of enterprise and small business clients. We've been doing this since the very beginning, which is May 2007 when Facebook opened the F8 platform. And we love to get into the data and talk about all the things that are possible. We have built a lot of tools with Facebook to be able to build their ad systems and build the analytics products. Okay, well, we're going to talk a lot about that uh, in just a moment. And our other guest is the other co-founder of Blitz Metrics, Logan Young, who is, I sad to say, sick today, but is still joining us. Hey, Logan. Hey, Michael. Happy to be on. Yes, sorry, I'm not feeling better. It's what happens when you travel a lot? Well, I know you guys do travel a great deal. And Logan, I have to say, I've seen a lot of your videos and they're just awesome. So thank, thank you as well as to Dennis for taking the time to be with us today. Yeah, we're excited. So let's begin with context. Why, why is Facebook so important? I mean, I know it's obvious, okay, all of our friends are there and we can share our cat photos and rant and rave about politics. But beyond that, from the data, why, why is Facebook so important? Facebook has scale. And because the amount of data they have, you can see a Cambridge Analytica happen. You can see various fears that occur when people could do something with their ad targeting platform. You know, the same kind of ad targeting that Facebook's gotten in trouble for, Twitter and LinkedIn and even Google have provided the same kind of targeting, but they don't get in trouble because they don't expose that same level of targeting and they're not seen as the big behemoth, right? You wouldn't kick a dog that's injured, right? In the same way you wouldn't see the government or the public come after Twitter. But because Facebook has such a dominant position in data collection, then they have so much more scrutiny. Okay, and so with, with Cambridge Analytica, uh, Logan, what's going on with that? So Facebook's obviously in a big PR storm right now. The Cambridge Analytica thing, we all know, ties back to the 2016 election. And a lot of people just aren't aware about how much data Facebook collects from people and how they make it accessible to other people. So as that's come to light, it's freaked a lot of people out. Facebook, in response to that, there's been a bit of a domino effect where they've now cut off third-party data providers from advertisers. And you might have seen some of their commercials that are running on TV saying, we're going to fix this and we're going to get rid of clickbait and bad ads that are spammy and all these things and fake news. So Facebook is trying to be really proactive right now and saying, yes, we have the data, but we're going to be more responsible in the way that we use it. Dennis, is that going to make a difference, do you think? 
I think it's just PR because Facebook's never had a security data privacy hack breach kind of problem. They've always had an educational issue because as long as the general population is relying upon the news feed for their news, they're going to fall for fake news. They're going to sign up for things that they never really wanted. And that's an education issue that isn't something that they should have to solve, but it's one that they're being forced to. So the reason you see the regulators continue to try to clamp down on Facebook is because of the public outrage. So how do they get around that? They have to be more transparent. They have to educate the public. They have to educate business folks like us on what is actually possible. We were just with Facebook two days ago, and you guys know F8 is their big conference, developer conference they have every year. And one of their executives pulled me aside and said, hey, Dennis, you need to stop talking to the media right, about this kind of stuff because it's making us look bad. And they said, what, you think, you think I work for you? I'm going to tell people what the actual issue is because that you guys have done an awful job in education so that every time you guys make a change, everyone's wondering what the heck's going on, right? Last week, we were with our, our buddy, Michael Stelzner, who runs Social Media Marketing World. That's the industry conference for social media marketing. And no one from Facebook was there. Logan and I were the ones that were teaching those workshops on how to do Facebook ads. And I told the Facebook folks, you guys need to be there at this conference speaking with us, right? Now, since then, they have hired a lot of lobbyists, as you know, in DC, and they've started to redouble their efforts, but they're facing enterprise growing pains. They're no longer a tiny company. We talked to one department on the ads product side, another department analytics, another you know sales team, and they don't know what's going on between different departments, which is actually normal inside big companies. So you're going to expect that a company that has this much data is having trouble coordinating what has to happen between the sales team versus marketing versus PR versus policy versus the other groups. That's normal. Okay, so so Facebook is basically out of control. And yet, at the same time, from a marketing standpoint, from an enterprise standpoint, we need to be there. And what does that mean? So we need to be there what does that mean for marketers, right? How, do, how, how should marketers relate to Facebook in the best way? I mean, you guys are experts at this and what should marketers do? So if you're a senior executive, I'll just give a quick answer and Logan can, can say some more. You can't not be on Facebook. It's not that you wanna be on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever, it's that you can't not be there. So you have to, you have to put some amount of effort in creating content, running ads, building teams, you know, a social team around this kind of stuff, but then, you don't know how to measure the ROI. And the reason that Facebook's gotten into this situation is that the consumers, they are using Facebook as their address book, as like a best friend, as like, a, as like the phone to be able to talk to everybody. And the very thing that's made it powerful from the consumer standpoint is the very thing that has been hurting them from the regulation standpoint. And it's also the very thing that's amazing for us as marketers, because when it's free to consumers, all that data, all that targeting that Facebook has exposed to us becomes amazing for the because we can target and drive more sales, which puts more money into their machine, allows them to invest more. I had a conversation with Zuckerberg a few years ago because he was accusing me of spamming and you know riding the very edges of what's possible with their ad system. And he said, you know, we're we never anticipated that developers like you would use the data from these apps to then be able to do these other kinds of things. So it's the same thing like the guy who sold his app data to Cambridge Analytica, he, he passed, because I'll just back up a second. So when Facebook launched the apps back in 2007, like Michael, if you wanted to play a car racing game 
or you wanted to mine strawberries in Farmville or whatever, the thing that made it fun is that you invited your friends and these users were able to share their friends' data, right? That's what created a frictionless environment. But being able to share not just your data, but your friends' data is the very thing that they didn't anticipate that advertisers or malicious marketers would, would take and do other things with that data because of how you shared the secret key. So that was Facebook 10 years ago, kind of out of control because they were just build fast and break things, which was their model back then, right? And I think they're still recovering from that. I think four years ago, they actually solved most of those problems because they've tightened up the API. Their head of engineering last week made a number of announcements about restrictions on you know, insights data, ad targeting, partner data, like Logan talked about, which will initially hurt us as marketers. But in the long run, I don't think it'll matter because Facebook's system is so smart at optimizing. We don't need to do the fine tuning and touching. One of the key points we got from meeting with Facebook a couple of days ago was that most of these marketers that are sophisticated at the enterprise level, they're actually hurting themselves because they're touching their campaigns. Each time you touch your ad campaigns, you're resetting the ad rank and the system has to learn again. So if anything, Facebook's making things easier by pulling this stuff back. It's not because necessarily of all this privacy stuff. It's because that was a direction that they were going anyway. Oh, if I could add to that, Michael, too, it goes back to your earlier question that why should we be on Facebook is because ads are powerful when they're relevant, right? And some time ago, Procter & Gamble came out and they said, you know what, we've tried this whole online advertising and we just found that traditional works better. Well, if you approach Facebook with a traditional mindset where you just have one creative that you blast out there to everyone, it's not going to work super great for you. But the power of Facebook is that you can sequence messages. The average consumer needs seven touches with a brand before they're going to convert. Let me give you some quick examples of how this could work on Facebook. If I have a video that I run out there as an ad, I could take people that watch 50% of it and show them something else. Or I could take people that only watch three seconds or less and say, you know what, they didn't watch that video. Let me try again with these folks. If I have an event, for example, we work with TiVo a while ago, they had this big event, this like 10 year you know, anniversary thing. I put the event out there. Some people will say, yes, I can go. Some people will say no. And a lot of people say I'm interested, but I don't know. Well, I could then retarget and say all the people that say they're interested, but didn't make it to the event, they might be interested in something else. You know, So I can target those people with another ad. So on Facebook, you can become really relevant with your messaging in a way that you can't do that with billboards, TV, radio, any kind of traditional. It's just not possible. And that's really the power of Facebook. And that's the way it should be. Most advertisers don't do that, sadly. But if you approach with that mindset, then Facebook really becomes powerful for you. So Dennis, tell us about that, uh, this concept of the funnel. What do marketers need to know about that? Because I think that's what Logan was just alluding to. So in a traditional funnel, you have top, middle, and bottom, right? You have awareness, engagement, conversion, which is actually how Facebook organizes their funnel. I guess technically they call it awareness, consideration, conversion. We call it awareness, engagement, conversion. But you have marketers that are usually in two camps. One is their brand marketers, where they're trying to drive awareness and they're selling consumer packaged goods. And then you have direct marketers that are trying to drive leads and sales and software and you know trying to drive like e-commerce, that kind of thing. And then in the middle, you have this no man's land of engagement. And what Facebook's trying to do is bridge those audiences. They have built, for example, a new tool that is called Advanced Measurement, now called Attribution, which actually shows how Facebook can drive people actually going into the store an in-store visit, actually buying at the point of sale. You're tying back your loyalty programs, tying back the POS systems, tying back email, remarketing between these different systems. 
So Facebook is building all of these to be able to show that when you have a funnel, it's not a Facebook funnel, right? It's not that people are engaging on Facebook and then they are buying on Facebook. It's that Facebook is influencing the consumer to buy. And it may, here's the big thing, it may bypass the website completely. It might it may bypass the landing pages. In the last couple of months, because of chatbots, you know, messenger, Instagram ads, we, we have found and they've found through research that by exposing people to short messages, that actually influences their decision. And marketers that are marketing on Facebook, when they're driving likes, comments, and shares, because they're trying to drive vanity metrics, a lot of those have zero correlation with the actual purchase when you do s- split tests. To determine a lift test to determine is there actually an impact. So the funny thing is that most of the social media marketers that are trying to drive likes, shares, and comments with cat photos or whatever it is, they are not changing the underlying behavior. So therefore, what should marketers be doing? How should marketers be thinking about approaching Facebook advertising? Yeah, I think marketers, to our earlier point, need to recognize that it's not always a one-touch conversion, and you need to sequence this out. So what you want to do is find a funnel that works for you. You can send all your traffic down. So you want to test having multiple touches, but you want to go from a first touch all the way down to conversion and just recognize that again, it's going to take multiple touches. But advertising video is so cheap on Facebook where you can get a a view for a penny or less. Oftentimes we've seen when we work with the Warriors, we're getting views for just fractions and fractions of a penny. So it's okay to have multiple touches. A lot of marketers are like, oh, you know, I don't have the the budget to put multiple touches, right? But use video. That's the best way because you get the lowest CPMs and your cost per views are just ridiculous. So try and test videos and find one that gets you a cost per view of one penny or less. And that's kind of a good indication that it might be working. And then you want to sequence a few different videos together that again, lead from a first touch all the way down to they're going to the website and then converting, purchasing your product. Yeah, video is so key. Like if you're not doing one minute videos and 15 second videos on Facebook, you're not even in the game when it comes to Facebook because you can't remarket into Instagram or run things like Instagram stories, 15 seconds or less, or take those same videos and run into Snapchat 10 seconds or less. A huge thing that we see organizations struggle with is being able to make video central to their strategy. It's not just I hired a couple videographers or I hired an agency that produced some videos or I'm taking my TV ads, which is the number one mistake they do. They just take their TV ads and try to run them on Facebook. It doesn't work in a sound off environment. It doesn't work in a vertical environment, right? Which is why you want to run square videos as your number one format, right? Things like that. Like when you have video as central to how you drive engagement and sales at every step in the funnel, then you realize that you need to understand video analytics. And there's a different set of analytics on video analytics than web analytics. You need to understand video production because there's a certain way that you're going to edit and shoot these things for people that are 80% on their mobile phone. There's a certain way you do video sequencing, which is telling stories in lightweight touches. Instead of like a 20-minute webinar infomercial, how do you tell stories in 15 seconds what Facebook calls out-of-sequence targeting, right? You might have five or six different messages and they all occur in a different sequence. You need to figure out how to tie them into a catalog. So if you've got a product catalog and you're serving dynamic ads, even if you're not e-commerce, you've got lots of pieces of content based on the personas and products, targeting, all different kinds of triggers, organize your content into a a topic wheel, which is what we call it. So that if people who like this, they also like that content. People who open this email or like this product, they might also like this other product. People who follow this person, they might like this other person. How do you build your content to be able to fit that format? That's really the challenge that people have. And that means you have to build lots and lots of videos in a particular structure, which is not 
your content library. Most or most people will say, okay, here's our January, February. They have a content calendar, right? Here's our April content. Here's our May content. Instead of here's our content on this theme and here's our content on another theme. That's why marketers struggle so much. Every time Facebook makes a change, their content calendar and their silo way of organizing their marketing content doesn't fit the way Facebook wants it. So what's the best way to do that? And also, how do you organize, uh, if you've got a series of very short videos and you have dozens of them, how do you organize all of that so that you keep the sequences together and flowing in the, in the way that you want? Right. So there's three types of content in terms of the categories. The first one is calendar driven, like Dennis was mentioning. So that's tied to some event, you know, our 4th of July sale, Black Friday, Christmas. And then you have spontaneous, which is tied to just random things happening, news, sports teams winning, elections. And in the middle, you have evergreen content. That's content that can live forever. This is where you want to focus the majority of your time creating is these evergreen sequences. So when you have an evergreen sequence, you know, it's uh, different videos that, again, once you find kind of the Rubik's Cube, you solve the path that kind of works. You know, video A works well with video B, then video C, and then they convert. You want to send all your traffic down that. So we've seen one in 10 pieces of content is what we call a winner on Facebook. So we recommend starting with a three by three, where Dennis mentioned you have a three funnel where you have awareness, engagement, and conversion. So for each of those stages, I want to have three videos to test initially. So I have three videos for awareness, three for engagement, and three for conversion. Again, I could have more. I could do a five by five or 10 by 10, but keep it a little bit simple to start. The point is that you might create something and you think it's really good, but we always like to let the data tell. So we want to put it out there initially, small budget. Facebook's fantastic. You can test things for as little as a dollar a day. Again, you can't do that traditionally. You know, the first ad I ever ran was in a newspaper, cost $600, didn't work. Facebook, you just spend a few dollars. You can quickly find out if the content's good or not. So create this three by three, three videos for awareness, three for engagement, three for conversion, put them all out there to test. And then hopefully you'll find some winners. And those are the ones you want to run with and start building out those evergreen sequences. It's a key point. So that's what we call a greatest hits. See, a lot of marketers, they make the mistake of constantly focusing on creating new content, more and more new content. So you create content that's evergreen. There's content that we have used that's from years ago that continues to produce, right? Logan and I, we went to a Guns N' Roses concert because they were playing at, at MGM Resorts International, one of our clients, and Appetite for Destruction, what was 1987? Is that right? And they're continuing to earn royalties off of that. In almost every single industry that we've worked with, ex with the exception of news media and publishing, when you're able to organize your content into this three by three, a story is going to last forever. Expertise you share on how do you do something, that's going to last forever. So when you have things that are working well, you're going to use the ad system. So this, this is the one time like Facebook should actually pay us a commission because we're wearing their shirts. When you find things that are working, the way to get an extension off of it is you put money on it right? You, so you allow it to live longer in the newsfeed. You recycle that into email. You collect, you mention it in a chat bot. You put it on a landing page. Website. You recycle the winner. You try to get more out of the winner, which is the idea of amplification. So that if you're a CMO and you've got your marketing channels organized properly, you should be spending 80% of your time optimizing winners, things that you already have, and only 20% of the time trying to come up with new content. But most people have it where they're like 90% of the time trying to make new content, which is just like whiffing, trying to get home runs every time. And they've got winners that they have allowed, allowed to die. 
So when you talk about uh, the winners, you so you, you you basically advertise or see see what works, and then the, choose the ones that seem to be performing the best, and then put more money behind it. Yeah, Ashley Furniture, for example. Well, they're called Ashley Home Store. They have some videos of some of their top salespeople not selling. When I'm decorating on a budget, th these are the kinds of tips that I have. And these people are showing themselves, their personality, who they are. They're a student in school. This is how they're earning money on the side. Just showing how they're human. And those kinds of things, two years ago, they were putting, oh, Fourth of July blowout sale, half off, come out for free hot dogs or whatever. And their cost per engagement was something like 28 cents. Now, using the technique of providing video instead of recycling their TV ads, creating real video based on humans so people can identify with the stories of who these people are, actually sharing expertise, creating value like we all hear but don't do, they've driven that cost down to two or three cents per engagement. And more importantly, because they have tied the point of sale in each of their store locations back to Facebook, they've found that it drove an 11 ROAS. So every dollar spent in Facebook ads drove $11 in sales. And now I think they're up at like an 18 ROAS month over month. Or they get back $18 and people actually buying furniture, uh, chairs and sofas and tables. And that's what they want, right? Before they were measuring on, oh, well, we were able to drive our cost per engagement from 28 cents down to 25 cents. Oh, our fan base went from 100,000 to 120,000. Facebook's saying those metrics don't matter anymore. What matters are the business metrics. And that means you have to have your analytics and tracking and all the tagging all the way, you have to track everything all the way down. That means you've got to do some IT infrastructure, API stuff to bring that stuff back in. Otherwise, you have no idea the ROI of what you're doing on Facebook. So it's not sufficient to your ROI, uh, having more likes or more followers. That's not an ROI. That was a 10 years yeah. ago game. Yeah, we were just at Facebook two days ago at their headquarters in Chicago, and they told us, do not choose that as an objective, you know, growing a fan base. Uh, getting engagement, just likes and comments and shares. That's great, but it doesn't correlate in their studies of looking over the data to people actually buying. Is their vanity metrics? They look nice, like it makes you look big, but ultimately it doesn't make your bank account bigger. But isn't awareness uh, crucially important? And doesn't this don't, don't these vanity metrics tie to awareness? Awareness is important so long as you can track it all the way through to engagement and all the way through to some kind of conversion. But awareness, just because you want to blanket the internet with as many cheap impressions as possible, doesn't really mean anything. The key to awareness is that you, you actually have what's called a causal conversion, meaning that you're able to change someone's behavior. Just because you can expose somebody to a banner ad or to a video or to like whatever it is, doesn't change their behavior necessarily unless it is meaningful and relevant to them. So Facebook's put out the relevance score as an estimate of do we think that people are engaging with it as the number one factor? And the number two, it's de-weighted by negative feedback because Facebook's using their crowdsourcing is content working or not. Organically and paid, it's the same algorithm determining what shows up in that feed. Right, They're using combinations of, of positive and negative feedback to say, is this something that users want? And that's why Zuckerberg is saying that advertising, he doesn't believe, is going to be adversarial in the long run. It's going to be like a recommendation from a friend that happens to be paid. Because Facebook, for us to think about Facebook properly, it has to be the ultimate word of mouth machine. Because putting simply using Facebook as like a distribution channel where you just put money in the vending machine and it, sh it shows ads at people, that's not going to work. But if you, find, if you find these signals, 
if you are able to collect videos of people that are sharing content, of your people, of customers, of things that are funny, of different one-minute videos of why stories, of sharing you know, knowledge, and then you allow the system to optimize for friends of fans, you allow the system to bid to a business objective, then you will have stacked from awareness to engagement to conversion. Let me give you one quick example. So one of the things that we used to do, we've spent millions of dollars that we didn't realize till recently is that we were bidding to website clicks because if you come from a Google world, then you want you know more clicks and you're bidding everything based on cost per click. So then you're going to compare your cost per click on Facebook, right? That you think that makes sense. Actually, that's wrong because what's more important than a click is a landing page view. What's more important than a landing page view is someone actually buying or becoming a lead, right? And because websites load so slow, the average website loads in eight seconds, We've seen in many cases that we'll lose two-thirds of the traffic where it's counted as a click on Facebook side, but it doesn't make it all the way to the web page all the way loading because people don't have the eight seconds on mobile to wait, right? So that means you have to implement things like Google AMP and Facebook Instant Articles, which is instant loading of your content, right? Those are things that people that are doing Facebook marketing in this silo, they don't realize they need to do. They just say, oh, I ran ads on, ran ads on Facebook and it doesn't work. Well, yeah, you, your, your website was just leaking all the traffic. You weren't using the tools that Facebook and Google had provided to make things load immediately. You were choosing the wrong objective because you were choosing people that would just click on stuff and never buy instead of telling Facebook, my objective is to buy. So you still want awareness, engagement, and conversion, but you want to have the right audiences and you want to have the right content at each of these phases. That's why Facebook now has things like lift testing where you can actually expose, like we we spent a couple million bucks for Rosetta Stone where, and Facebook paid for a lot of it, which is cool. And we did the same thing for YouTube, by the way, we took their money as well. We, we put them side by side and we said, okay, we're, here's a group of all the people that we have email addresses for, for Rosetta Stone, let's say 9 million people, right? And half of them, we're going to show some Facebook videos. We're going to expose them to videos, half of them randomly, we're not. And then we're going to send our regular email saying, okay, you know, Christmas sale. And we'll see of the people that were exposed to Facebook, were they more likely to buy in any channel, not buying through Facebook, but they, they're more likely to open their emails. They were more likely to come to one of our stores and buy. They were more likely to come to the website and buy. And we found that the majority of the lift actually occurred outside of Facebook. Facebook is where we were able to get the reach, but the sale, you see, Facebook... Facebook changed their behavior. That's the thing is you want a causal conversion because it changes their behavior. That's the way you really want to be thinking about Facebook, not mass impressions and likes. You want to change their behavior so that they're going to buy wherever they want to buy. So that's why Facebook's an amplifier of these other channels. That's why you need to be able to tie all these systems together from a data standpoint. So at the end of the day, then, is the value what happens off of Facebook? So Facebook is a mechanism to drive people away from Facebook? Uh, obviously, you know, as a marketer, yeah, we're most concerned about getting the results, whatever channel it happens in. So we don't really believe in just being a Facebook expert or Google expert. A lot of people think we're Facebook experts, but really, you should just be a digital marketing expert or advertising expert because all these channels should work in conjunction with one another where it should be the same strategy and the same sequences across Facebook, Google, Twitter, Snapchat, email. These are all different channels where people might start on Facebook, maybe it's more top of funnel, and maybe they like to end on Google because they see Facebook on their mobile. And then when they're home, they search desktop Google, and, and then they buy on the website, right? But they all work together. It's the same strategy behind all of them. It's the same content, just in different places across them. So 
we don't view them as like separate and we don't think people should either. And there shouldn't just be these siloed experts, right? All the channels should work more together. So your your video sequencing strategy, then do you you do that for say Facebook and then do that for LinkedIn? Is that how you think about it? I was gonna just you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube. Each of these properties is a little bit different with their intricacies. Long form video works a lot better on YouTube than on Facebook. The average watch time on Facebook for video is only six seconds. The average watch time on YouTube is over two minutes, right? So if I have a longer video, like Dennis mentioned earlier, maybe I do have a webinar. Then I have to just recognize that I don't want to particularly use this on Facebook. It might work well on YouTube. But if I have shorter videos, like Dennis was talking about earlier, if I have 15-second videos, one-minute videos, then I know those are going to work great on Facebook. So it's taking things where they make sense and using it all together, right? We have a, uh, an interesting question from Twitter. Shelly Lucas asks, uh, what about organizations that are looking at metrics looking at changes in behavior that is not a purchase, for example, influencer advocacy, because not all organizations can track social to a purchase and it can depend on the maturity of their social program. So what about non-purchase activities? Where does where do the metrics and fit in for that? You can do the same thing. So you can have a proxy metric. You can use a secondary metric like leads. You can survey. Facebook has a brand awareness tool, which also gives you free serving at the end. You can run a poll against different audience groups and say, are you more or more uh, less likely to buy, or, you know, is your opinion more favorable or less favorable? If you have these metrics at different points in the customer journey, even if you don't have the very bottom because there's some crazy integration with Salesforce or it's offline or it's like many, many touches later or high-end product, you can always step back up a couple levels and use those intermediate metrics as diagnostic metrics. You can still do lift testing. You know, simple lift testing is I've, I've got a new cancer cure. Some people get the pill, some people get the sugar placebo, right? You're going to do the same thing. You're going to think about Facebook in a scientific way where everything's an experiment. It's not because they have the data. It's not, uh, not because they have all this data and and that you can run ads and there's a lot of volume. It's because you can segment this way. And so if you set up your campaigns to do this, which is very simple, which is already now built into the way that their ad sets are organized, Facebook does that for you. What about uh, if you're you're selling a product? Uh, so I work with a lot of marketing organizations in, in very large software companies. And they are interested in reaching the people who are influential in their market, say industry analysts, uh, maybe journalists. What about a Facebook campaign where the goal is simply to build awareness among that specific target group? Let's say that you, you, okay, so you're, a, you're a SaaS company and you want to be featured at digital marketers, social media marketing world, Forrester, Jupiter, Altimeter, all these different places, you know, Wall Street Journal, CNET, whatever it might be. So if you have in your content, Content library, a list of all the places where your founder or your top people were interviewed, where your best customers have shared on stage, in an article, podcast. All of us have these kinds of things, right? You can take those items, cut out. Here's the key. You probably, A, you have to assemble that list. B, assuming you have that list, you cut out one minute snippets, video, ideally. You upload those natively to Facebook. You don't put a YouTube link on Facebook. That's like driving, you know, wearing Nikes to Adidas headquarters. You don't do that. And then you boost it to the people who are fans of whoever that publication is. And you can also 
still target a lot of people who work at these places, right? A, a lot of workplace targeting and job title targeting has gone away on Facebook. But you know what? You can do the same thing on LinkedIn. I can target all the people that work at Forrester. I can target all the people that work at Facebook. Some of the engineers at Facebook will go to a meetup and they'll say, hey, Dennis, you got to knock off the Facebook targeting, dude, because like I see your ads all the time. I totally know you're... Like my buddy Jeff Fowler does digital for the Wall Street Journal. me after... Conference, I've seen your ads all over the place. I know you're targeting, you know, people that work at the Wall Street Journal, not people who read the Wall Street Journal, people who work at the Wall Street Journal, right? So if you hear about things like account-based marketing, that's this is an extension of account-based marketing using the paid side. So if you want to influence people, then you want to influence the influencer. The idea of inception, which is the dream inside the dream inside the dream, is I want to target. I want to show the content that's high authority of the people that my audience respects. And then I want to deliver that against other people that are also high authority that's, that will respect those people. I will use Facebook as an amplifier. I have to put in my high authority articles. I can boost those articles, right? I can boost the one minute video snippets that I'm editing. And I, th I can think of Facebook as an extension of PR, but I'm using the ad system instead of using these people that are just like spamming journalists like me saying, hey, write a story about my stuff, right? So then the videos, you're saying that the videos need to be one minute in length. Why? What's the magic about one minute videos? One minute it is for several reasons. A, we find that most organizations, especially in B2B, is that they have this aversion to want to create video. For some reason, they have arthritis and they just don't want to produce video or they want to spend 50, they want to hire professional video crew and all this. And they just can't seem to, like, if you want to run a marathon and you've never run before, can you walk a mile first, right? Just walk a mile first, then we'll talk about a 5K half marathon. So we wanna get them into the habit of producing one minute videos because you and I know that it's, it's way harder to pull out your iPhone and do a one minute video than it is to do a 60 minute or in this case, 45 minute webinar, right? Because you've gotta get right to the point. One minute forces you to tell a particular story. You can't ramble. It has to be on one topic. It has to be on one thing that happened. Oh, one day this one thing happened and you know it's something that I learned. That like you confine it to that one story. And users' attention spans are low and lower. Even if you're marketing the people that are 50 plus, they're, what was it that Facebook shared, Logan? It was something like people consume content, like was it two times faster on mobile than on desktop? It was some statistics like that. So we have a couple of questions from Twitter. And the first one is Arsalan Khan asks, how can bloggers generate good leads? He says, in his case, he's in the management consulting industry. How can, how can he generate leads using Facebook for his blog? I'll just take the beginning part of that one. So leads assumes that you have some kind of lead magnet. You have some piece of content that's so valuable, people are willing to put in an email address. It doesn't have to be this long thing like a course. It could be simply a, you know, a, a, or like a list of five things or whatever it might be enough to get someone's email address. I think the best thing for, for you as a blogger is you use Facebook lead ads, right? And you tie that in with the messenger bot, for example. You, you could use like ManyChat or Mobile Monkey, And it's so easy using Messenger and using Facebook lead ads, which is integrated native, where it automatically pre-populates the email address and name. You should be able to get leads for like a buck or two. I guess it depends on what vertical you're in and you're targeting really senior people in a very niche industry. Maybe it's like five bucks or 10 bucks, but absolutely. You, you have your, if you've got your content that demonstrates authority, if you're a blogger, however much audience that you have right now, you look at your Google analytics and see how many people are coming, remarket from that audience, remarket from that email list into your lead magnet using Facebook, tie that in with a one minute video saying, Hey, I'm Michael. 
I created this guide on the seven ways on how to do whatever it is. I'd love to give it to you right now. Just put in your email address. They hit, you know, a send message or, or whatever the, the button is that you, you choose for the copy. And they instantly get that. You instantly get their email address, right? Lead gen, you can skip the website completely. You, if you have a Marketo and an Infusionsoft or whatever, you can use that too. But Facebook is, everything that Facebook's doing is around making the experience frictionless, where you can get that result immediately without having to tie in with all these other tools. So if you're a blogger and it's just you and you don't have a big team, it's easy because just take, look at, look at your Google Analytics over the last three or four years or whatever, find out what your best content is, what has gotten the most traffic, what ranks number one in Google, what is your best lead source? Make a, make a, if you don't have a lead magnet around that, make a lead magnet there, run a Facebook lead ad to that particular asset. And I think you'll find it converts super well. Your conversion rate from click should be like 30%, 40%. It should be really amazing. And doing all of this right on Facebook. Yeah, for a dollar a day is all it costs you. You don't need a big budget. You don't need to hire a bunch of people. Dollar a day, put up your lead magnet, remarket against the people who've been to your website in the last 30 days or who are in your, in your email list. Okay. And we have another question from Zachary Jeans who's asking, this is an interesting one, what has been uh, most challenging to you as or challenging you as a digital market recently? In other words, what is the the nut that you're trying to crack? I think the hardest thing, and I don't mean to be condescending, is getting people to make one-minute videos. It could be the executives at the company. It could be motivating the VP of marketing to collect this from their customers, integrating it in their operations to collect one-minute videos. So for example, one of our clients, they do wedding photography and at the point of sale or, you know, where, where the, you know, the wedding photographer is taking all these photos, that photographer is also asking, Hey, will you also like, you know, tell us in one minute why, you know, how, how we did and like, Oh yeah, it was amazing. I love the photos you guys took and you guys were prompt and serious and all that kind of stuff. Right. It's how do you, how do you integrate in your operations to get some one minute videos? And even if you're not doing something at scale, you get just a few of them. Like if, if it's a smaller organization or if it's people that you're sending out to speak at conferences that are figureheads by definition, how do you get one minute videos out of them? Look, all you need is an iPhone and all you need is one minute. So you can't claim you don't have any money and you can't claim you don't have enough time. I don't care how many meetings you have. You have one minute. It takes you more time to make excuses than to make the one minute video. So I know I'm kind of complaining, but that is the number one thing because without the without being able to put lots and lots of one minute videos into the system, then the system can't optimize. And especially B2B and enterprise is they have this like fear of doing something wrong that they only put out one shot. Like if I, if I only had one shot to make a free throw, I, that would be super risky, right? But if I, if I had 20 shots to make a free throw, I don't feel like there's a lot of risk. So getting, getting going and making lots of one minute videos, which doesn't take a lot of money, doesn't take all these other agencies is, is the number one challenge because without the one minute videos, we can't do the three by three grid. Without the three by three grid, we can't the why to the how to the what. Without the remarketing, we can't drive the eventual sale. Without the eventual sale, we don't have the money to justify bootstrapping and putting more and more investment into here, right? And then you have more meetings talking about nonsense instead of let's actually take some baby steps, let's optimize. Yes, most of your one minute videos will suck. They're not movie theater quality, but the ones that look like advertisements are the ones that don't get clicked on anyway. You know what I'm talking about. You don't click on ads, do you? No, of course. So, and what are the, what are the attributes of a great one minute video? 
And we only have about five minutes left, by the way, we're almost out of time, but, but that seems like an important, given the emphasis that you place on one minute videos, let's talk about one minute videos for a moment. So when I think of one minute videos, we actually, there's four components that you want to make sure you include. The first is you want to have an interesting hook or intro, because again, we know the average watch time on Facebook is only six seconds and 70% of your traffic will not even watch the first three seconds. So some cardinal sins to avoid is don't use a bumper, just get right into the point. Hopefully you're telling a story so you can say, you know, a lot of people want to introduce themselves, but more exciting than me saying, Hey, I'm Logan. I went to BYU. I'm 27. This is if I say when I was 16, I got held up at gunpoint or when I was three, I went to SeaWorld and got attacked by a seagull. Those are a lot more interesting hooks that lead into a story. So obviously people want to watch from there. That actually happened both of those. And then the second thing is then you ignite some kind of pain or pleasure. So you create empathy with the consumer. Okay. Why should I continue staying here? You know, is it a problem with a product or a service? Then you need to describe the solution and then have some call to action at the end. So start with a hook, give them some incentive to watch. Again, you can do all this through, we love just telling stories, ignite some kind of pain or pleasure. You know, what's the problem they have as a consumer? What's your solution as the <coughs> advertiser or the brand? And then what's the call to action, you know? And it could be a hard call to action. It could be, you know, click now to buy, or it could just be, in, you know, I'm looking forward to talking with you more or learning more about you or something like that. Okay, so you create your one-minute videos, and now you start to populate the the tools. Facebook doesn't call it a funnel, but essentially the funnel, uh, brand awareness conversion, and so forth. And you, you, how do you? What's the relationship? You run these in sequence, or what's the best way to go about it? Yeah. So if you have your, if you have nine one minute videos, three, why, three, how, three, what, just post them all at once. Right. Unless you have such a giant audience that it's going to cause, you know, like newsfeed overlap. But I just say, put them all out there. Cause your organic is your, your organic reach is so low anyway. Like I'm not even worried about that. Right. The average organic reach is 2% and it's going down and people complain that it's gone down even further. 2% is basically zero. So you put it out there. And then as these different videos, are starting to get engagement, the ones that are doing well, according to what Logan talked about, these standards of excellence, the ones that are getting a high watch time, like north of 15 seconds, an engagement rate of more than 10%, which is the number of people that like, share, and comment divided by the views, then you're going to put more money against that. You're going to initially put a dollar a day, so you're going to spend $7. But the ones that are working, you're going to put another $30 for another 30 days. And then pretty soon, you might have 30 or 40 of these videos, each of them spending a dollar or two per day. And now you've got a funnel that's self-reinforcing because things that are working are you're putting more money against. And when that creates a larger remarketing pool, because you can remarket, say, people who watch video one, I want to then show them video two. If they watch video two, now I'm show them video four, five, or six, right? The more people that fit into each remarketing category, the more budget I can spend because those remarketing pools are increasing, right? Now, Facebook is doing the work for me because the whole point of collaborative filtering, you know, on Amazon, like people who bought this, they bought that. Or Netflix, oh, if you watch this movie, you like that movie too, maybe, right? That's the same thing that Facebook's doing. That's the same thing that's going on in the newsfeed. So when you organize your content in this way, Facebook is going to do the work for you and say, oh, people who like video three, they also seem to like video 10 and they will make that connection for you. If you put the buckets together in the three by three, they will figure out what video is best to serve next. You do not have to figure that out for them. You need to just put it out there, set up the remarketing audiences, and then, uh, then set your business objective and Facebook will figure out what the next video is that, that person needs to see. Okay. So you basically, you create three videos for awareness, for engagement, for conversion. You put them out there. 
a dollar a day behind each one of those nine videos and you see what works and you then promote ad additional promotion behind the ones that are the winners. $63. Anybody can afford nine is $7 times nine videos to run for a week. Then after that week, you're going to put more money against the winners. And guess what? Like Logan said, 90% of the videos you make are going to suck. Okay. Just keep making more. Now make another batch of nine videos and then test again. And now make another batch. And then you're going to find, we've seen ones, for example, that are so good. We started at a dollar a day. Most people are like, oh, I'm enterprise. I'm like a big company. That's like nothing. Well, we've seen ones we started at a dollar a day and now they're at $50 a day and they've run for a year, right? And it starts to add up because now you have a stacking. Now your funnel is you're stacking many, many, many videos, each of them spending a few dollars a day. All of a sudden you've got 50 or hundred of these these little minions that are each doing work that are being triggered by a particular condition because someone we just got their email. Now we're going to show them this video. Oh, they just joined our list. Oh, they became a fan. Oh, they just bought our product. Like any particular condition, we're going to sequence the next action. And now you're a multi-channel marketer. Okay. So I have a friend who's a CMO and the CEO of that company believes that promotion, that paid promotion is quote unquote, not valid. We hear that all the time, but guess what? You pay to send things through FedEx or the post office, don't you? So we think of Facebook as digital postage, right? You certainly pay to have pizza delivered to you. You're paying for distribution. You're not, you, don't think of it as advertising. You're, it's just think of it as, as social postage. And if you're a CMO or a CEO or a CXO, you need to have a public figure page, which is not your profile. You need It's a business page that looks like Michael Krigsman as a profile, but it's you as a page, as a business page, right? And then you're going to put one minute videos about who you are and what you believe in. And like, all, like if you want, like, you, you know, some family stories so people can relate to you as a human. And that's what creates sales. And that's what gives permission to everyone else in your organization to also share their brand because your company's brand is the sum of the personal brands of your employees, customers, and advocates. Okay. Wow. Uh, you know, we're, we're pretty much out of time. So let me, let's finish up by my asking each of you for Final thoughts, words, words of wisdom for marketing based on everything that you know. Uh, Logan, shall we start with you? Sure. So based off the last thing you said, we can all agree word of mouth is always going to be more powerful than advertising. And it's a better way to go about it. But ads are powerful when they're relevant. So my favorite example is if I'm driving down the freeway on a road trip and my tank's empty, I'm totally okay seeing an ad that tells me there's a Chevron at the next exit. Or if I'm really hungry, I'm totally okay seeing an ad saying there's a McDonald's two miles down the road. So if people buy when there's a need, think about how you can use that to your advantage and recognize that as a marketer, advertising is not just about blanket spamming people, saying it to as many people as you can. You know, that is not valid. But when you actually have something that solves that person's need and there's actual relevancy, then the ads are a really amazing thing and the consumer is really grateful for them. It's just as good as word of mouth. So I think that's the big takeaway that all people, a lot of people don't understand. Um, but if we can get to that point as advertisers, then that's when you win. Okay. Adverse. So relevancy is the key, not just throwing content out there, but understanding your, your audience. And Dennis, you, what are your, your, if you would share with us your final thoughts, advice, uh, for, for marketers who want to engage in this way with advertising promotion. Look, marketing's confusing. People are off balance all the time. There's all these different changes. There's fear of missing out. My number one thing is 
Find the things that are working for you already. I bet you, you've got content that's a home run that was maybe a couple years ago that you've forgotten about. Find where it is. What Was it an email? Was it something that's ranking well in search? Is it something that worked in YouTube? Take those assets and copy them over into Facebook and make them work on Facebook. You're going to save yourself a ton of headache because the system will learn. And look at your top posts on Facebook. Look at your top blog posts. The things that have worked the best, you're going to put more money on. The things that suck, do not put more money on. They're already dead. If you got the e-brake on, do not floor the car. That's not what you do. Find your winners. And then instead of trying to fight Facebook, like most people tried to fight Google on SEO by like trying to like trick their way around it, then the system is going to work for you. I'll tell you one quick joke, right? The guy, uh, genie, right? You, you walk on the, the guy's walking on the beach, gets the genie. Genie says, like, I give you three wishes for it. But everything you do, your ex-wife gets double, right? So he says, I want a thousand Lamborghinis. Boom, ex-wife, 2,000 Lamborghinis. I want $10 million, ex-wife, $20 million. Final wish, Jeannie, I want you to knock me half dead, right? So that's what's going on on Facebook. Yes, there's a lot of change. Yes, you have to advertise pay-to-play game, but the winners are going to win more because when you have good tracking, when you have better goals, content, and targeting, everyone else is getting crushed that eliminates your competition. That means you're focusing on your winners because that's the only stuff that's going to stay when the algorithm is super competitive. Okay, great advice. Well, this has been a very, very fast conversation. I want to say thank you to our two guests who are both co-founders of Blitz Metrics and truly among the most knowledgeable people in the world on the inner workings of Facebook. Dennis Yu, Thank you so much for for being here, and I hope you'll come back and do this another time. And Logan Young, thank you for being here and for being here while you're sick. So so thank you guys so much. And everybody, uh, next week we have another great show. Take a look at the website, cxotalk.com, and don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. All right, everybody, have a great day. Thanks so much. <music>